This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And it is Easter 2023, and we are uh, finishing up the last segment of John chapter 13. And uh, last week, we, um, it, well, what's happening now is that Christ has entered into the upper room. And um, we studied last week about how in the Synoptic Gospels, it records that the disciples were jockeying for position and one-upping each other on who was going to sit on Jesus' right hand and who on the left. And Jesus, most scholars feel, responds with what John records in that he washes their feet and humbles himself. And he tells them that they need to humble themselves before each other. And so we kind of finished that up and uh, Judas has left. And now uh, we have this last bit of section um, of chapter 13 beginning at 31. And I think we read this last week, but I want to read it again since I don't think we're going to get much past it. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Okay, so Christ says you see God in me and me in God, and you are children, and I'm telling you to love one another. This is his last command that he gives his disciples before the rest, his arrest and his crucifixion. This is his last teaching. Love one another. That's the key to this little segment. And so, it begs the question, what is love? And, and that's where we're going today. You know what? It's been talked about a lot. And frankly, it's been talked about badly. So, I have prepared an opening statement, and when I finish the opening statement, I will allow cross-examination. Um, the English language is enormous. It's one of the two largest languages vocabulary-wise in the world, and certainly the widest spoken. Uh, there are 16 different synonyms for the word walk. Did you know that? Oh, there are 16 different words, ways to say walk. 
We can say uh, different ways of walk different ways. Take a stroll. We have this one word for love, and love is far more complex than walking. Uh, the English language fails us when we get to the word walk. It also fails us when we're talking about how much capsaicin the Mexican food has, but that's a whole other story. Hot, hot, hot means so many different things. Okay. Uh, uh, so love. Um, it, usually when you hear this sermon, the last time that Clayton preached it, uh, he said that in Greek there are three different words for love, and you've heard this bit before, and that is eros and phileo and agape, because in the translation it's always kind of critical as to which word they're using as to what they actually mean because English speakers don't do differentiate. Hi. Hello. Oh. Oh. Your mother-in-law is here. You are in so much trouble. <laughs> They save you a seat right there, and I have a pretty donut for you too. There you go. We're gonna go over here. You have to behave now. Totally lost my train of thought. Where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we've got uh, 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 eros, which is basically a synonym for lust, which I personally don't consider to be love at all. And then we've got uh, phileo, which is the love of friends, as the Greeks would describe it, and is often described as conditional love. So I'll love you as long as you're nice, as long as we get along, as long as this business deal goes on fine, we'll be friends and we're cool, but as soon as you do something that I don't like, I am so out of here, you know? That, that's phileo, and I think we all understand that. We all have acquaintances. We've had acquaintances that we don't want to hang around anymore. Um, Christ, yes, yes, we do. Uh, they're all pretty because it's Easter. So uh, Christ used the word agape here, which is unconditional love. And again, I know I'm teaching things that you already know. Uh, unconditional love in a, a dictionary definition, the best one I can find, is placing someone else's needs above your own. They are more important than you are. Which makes sense. So I don't really care what you do. You're more important than I am. I'm going to see that your needs are met before my needs are met. Which is nice and analytical. It's, it's a nice definition. And I'm an analytical person. And I want to see the rules. I need to measure stuff. But, and Judy will tell you that I'm not very good at measuring, by the way. Um, Love is emotional as well. And there's all this stuff mixed up in it. And I would like to think that my unconditional love is real and honest and what Christ is talking about. But if I'm going to be really honest, I have two sons whom I love. But my feelings for my boys are very different from each other. We have they are very different people, and they have different needs. They have different uh, strengths, 
And we have different histories. And in addition to my loving them and putting their needs over my own, I want to say it's over my own. I can't always say it's over my own because I want them to become better. I want them to grow. I want them, you know, they're more or less grown at the moment, but I still feel that way. I, you know, uh, Judy and I had a conversation this morning about clay. What can we do to that clay? You know, that, uh, you know our, it's manipulative. I am, I love my sons, but I also manipulate my sons. I do. I, I resent my sons. I'm angry at my sons more than I should be. Uh, and all of that is mixed up together. We are complex human beings and we can hold multiple emotional states at the same time for the same person. I can love you and resent you. I can love you and manipulate you. I can love you and, and you can argue with me and abuse you. Yeah, and I know that's going to start something. Uh, but I'm going to stick to my side. I can love you and hate you at the same time. Now, once we mix all of that emotional baggage in with this very simple action, because I think it's an action more than an emotion, then it becomes very different for every person, and we confuse that. And when you listen to pop culture, listen to the radio, half the songs are about love, but they're not. They're all about lust. They're all about idealized romance. It's not really love. It's a facet of it, but it's one small facet in something that's far more complicated, or is it more simple? I'm starting to lose track here. Jesus says, love one another. I have a segment I found that was written by Donald Miller. Have you read this book? Okay. Why am I not surprised? Um, he wrote a play that I've never heard of, and there is this final statement that he included in this book that was from his play. It is very prosaic, uh, because it was for a play. But uh, in the context of the play, it, it concerns a couple who are having all kinds of marital problems and are sliding down this slippery slope toward divorce. That's the whole play. And in the end, the husband comes to the wife and gives this statement, and I thought it was profound. It took me by surprise as I was reading this, you know, because frankly, he writes kind of light. He deals with heavy subjects in a very casual, tongue-in-cheek almost way. He sneaks up on you, and then he drops this bomb in the middle of it, and I'm going, wow, you know, where did that come from? But it's because it was written for something else, and he inserted it in here. Uh, it's kind of lengthy, and I apologize, but I think I need to read the whole thing to make my point. So, the husband says, With great gravity is this that drew my soul toward yours. What great force that though I went falsely, went kicking, went disguising myself to earn your love. Also disguised, to earn your keeping, your resting, your staying, your, well fleshed into, your will fleshed into mine, Rasped by a slowly revealed truth, the barter of my soul, the soul that I fear, 
the soul that I loathe, the soul that if you will love me, I will love. So if you love me, I'll love me. I will redeem you if you will redeem me. Is this our purpose, you and I together, to pacify each other, to lead each other toward the lie that we are good and that we are noble, that we need not redemption save the one that you and I invented of our own? I am not scared of you, my love, I'm scared of me. I went looking, I wrote out a list, I drew an image, I bled a poem of you. You were pretty and my friends believed I was worthy of you. You were clever, but I was smarter. Perhaps the only one smarter, the only one able to lead you. You see, love, I did not love you, I love me. And you were only a tool that I used to fix myself, to fool myself, to redeem myself. And though I have taught you to lay your lily hand in mine, I walk alone, for I cannot talk to you lest you talk it back to me. Lest I believe that I am not worthy, not deserving, not redeemed. I want desperately for you to be my friend. But you are not my friend. You have slid up warmly to the man I wanted to be, the man I pretended to be, and I was your Jesus and you were mine. Should I show you who I am, we may crumble. I am not scared of you, my love, I'm scared of me. I want to know, I, I, I want to be known and loved anyway. Can you do this? I trust by your easy breathing that you are human like me, that you have fallen like me, that you are lonely like me. My love, do I know you? What is this great gravity that pulls us so painfully together, each other? Why do we not connect? Will we forever in fleshing this out? Will we be forever? And how will we, with words, narrow words, come into the knowing of each other? Is this God's way of meriting grace or teaching us the labyrinth of his love, teaching us in degrees that which he is sacrificing to join us to himself? Or better yet, has he formed our being fractional so that we might conclude one great hope, plotting and sighing and breathing into one another in such a push that we might break through into the known and being loved only to cave into greater perdition and fall down to his throne, still begging for our acceptance, begging for our completion? We were fools to believe that we would redeem each other. I'm quitting this thing. But not what you think. I'm not going away. I will give you this, my love. I will not bargain or barter any longer. I will love you as sure as he has loved me. I will discover what I can discover. And though you may remain a mystery, save God's own knowledge. What I disclose of you, I will keep in the warmest chamber of my heart, the very chamber where God has stowed himself in me. And I will do this to my death. And to death it may bring me. I will love you like God because of God, mighted by the power of God. I will stop expecting your love, demanding your love, trading for your love, gaming for your love. I will simply love. I'm giving myself to you, and tomorrow I will do it again. I suppose the clock itself will wear thin its time before I am ended at this altar of dying and dying again. God risked himself on me. I will risk myself on you, and together we will learn to love, and perhaps then, and only then, understand this gravity that drew him unto us. And I know that's heavy. Big words. But it adds, I think it captured the emotional element to this very analytical idea of putting somebody else's 
emotion, uh, sorry, needs above our own. And I think that's difficult to do. Um, so God loves us unconditionally. He wants us to love someone else, other people, unconditionally. He wants us to love him unconditionally. He wants us to love each other. What does that look like? Bonhoeffer describes it as dying to yourself. Christ died for us and calls us to be like Christ. So we need to die for Christ. It's not calling us to suicide. It's even worse. Suicide is selfish. You get a little, you know, fun in suicide that last moment before you go. This will show them. You know, uh, uh, never mind. <laughs> uh, we'll leave my complicated life out of it. See, you got me off my train of thought, and I was on a good track, well, too. Well, not here. I'm taking you off. Yeah, yeah thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks. do. We need to die today and then die tomorrow. Bonhoeffer again. Uh, because it, it, the, the needs of others are more important than us and that is what God calls us to. But that is so much harder than it sounds. It's, it's, it's rather intense. We are very selfish people and we have this primal animal need for self-preservation. And what he is calling us to is to override that primary animal need of self-preservation, as I keep reading you things other people wrote. So this is C.S. Lewis, my, my main man, Clive. Um, and this was a poem that he wrote in one of his books. I couldn't find the source because Miller quoted him. All this is flashy rhetoric about loving you, says C.S. Lewis. I never had a selfless thought since I was born. Well, and when you read C.S. Lewis, you kind of feel it in his writing. This is a man who likes himself. C.S. Lewis and I hit it off immediately because we're kindred spirits. Yeah, maybe God. Yes, he did. I, and he knew it. He was self-aware. Yeah, I never had a selfless thought since I was born. I am mercenary and self-seeking through and through. I want God, you, all friends, merely to serve my turn. Peace, reassurance, pleasure are the goals I seek. I cannot crawl one inch outside of my proper skin. I talk of love. A scholar's parrot may talk Greek. I love that line. But self-imprisoned always end where I begin. C.S. Lewis, the... Uh, the he, he, he wrote uh, A Mere Christianity. He wrote The Narnia Chronicles. Uh, screw tape letters. He wrote Surprised by Joy. He was a, uh, just a layman commentator in England. He was an Oxford professor who, uh, of literature, yes. 
And uh, he, uh, he had a radio program during World War II that some argue held England together while, during the Blitz because he was talking about what it takes to be Christian in the middle of strife while bombs were falling on people's houses. You know what I'm saying? He, he was, and he, his writing is exceptional. Um, and uh, I've read all of his Christian work. I decided one year I was going to read everything that C.S. Lewis ever wrote, and I got a printout of everything that he's accredited to, and there's a significant library of Christian and fictional writing, but it's all Christian with C.S. Lewis. And then there's a million articles on ancient Middle uh, Age English literature that's as dry as sand. It's, it's an English professor's library. I refuse, not going there. I'm not gonna read what C.S. Lewis said about Beowulf, I just don't care. <laughs> he died the same day as JFK. Did he? Okay, a, a fact I didn't know. Congratulations, points to yes. Okay, uh, we are craven, selfish people, and God calls us to put the needs of other people Above us, we need to override basic primal psychology. And that's hard. Well, that's the sinful nature. Yes. You go back and you think of what is consciousness. Consciousness when Adam and Eve ate from the Garden of Eden. So that's that primal instinct that you're speaking of is that sinful nature that's in the world that we're, we're born into. We're on the same wavelength there because that leads me into my final point on this very long opening statement that I've spent way too much time thinking about this week. Uh, God loves us unconditionally and powerfully, and it's not just us, it's all of humanity. God loves the lost with the same power and intensity and unconditional level that he loves us. So why doesn't he just save everybody? Why doesn't he just hand out salvation tickets and be done and let everybody in the heaven open the gates wide in the name of love? So says Rob Bell in the book Love Wins. Well, you got to look at the rebellion that happened in heaven to begin with. That's why Lucifer and all the fallen angels were cast down to the earth. You know, they were born from light. Sin in them whatsoever. So that sin was found in their hearts, and the Lord will not have that in his presence. It will not be in his kingdom, and so he's making everything new, and he doesn't force anyone to love him. You know, he gives them the opportunity to receive salvation, but it's their choice. It's, it's what's in their heart. Close. Not the point I had in mind, but that's an interesting can, idea. Can I play devil's advocate? Let me, let, let me say, me, am I getting, okay, let me make my point, and then I'm going to cut you loose, okay? Okay, okay, okay. Um, God needs us to have free will. We are individual people. He will not control us. If God controls us, if he makes us do stuff, we stop being people and we start being things. 
suddenly we're a bunch of little plastic soldiers on a table and we're not interesting anymore. That, that, that's the wrong word. God wants someone to commune with. He wants friends. He wants somebody to, to interact with. He wants, he wants people. And if he, if he steps in and overrides our will, then that becomes negated and it's not about a relationship anymore. So above all, God is going to protect our humanity. He lets us be free. And as free operators, he invites us to come to him. He's not going to make us come to him. He will give everyone on earth that salvation ticket. But they have to step up and take it. He's not going to force it on them because that negates their will and it, it undermines them. Would you want somebody to make you do something that you don't want to do or don't choose to do? Yeah, but I love her anyway. <laughs> <laughs> love is complex. And you're confusing love with all those other emotions. I've already covered that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Relationships are complicated. Well, and it, it, it's something as simple as, okay, I'll say I'm working out in the backyard, and I could holler at Clayton and Andrew and say, come help me do something, which they would do and everything like that. But would, what would mean more to me is if I'm working in the yard and they come volunteer and say, hey, Mom, what can I help you with? Yes, it would. It's totally different. It is totally different. It's accepted differently. It's of their own free will that they've chosen to do that, not because I came in and cracked the whip. So, you want us to We're come... out through something right now. <laughs> What's going on? Well, the therapy session will continue later. So says Kevin. Um, Lord, you want us to come to you of your, our own free will and step into your grace and love unconditionally but I am that selfish person that the smartest man I've ever read just described mm. you know and so how can somebody so incredibly vain and so incredibly egotistical and proud die to self before God I'm not sure I can I think parts of me can I think I've managed to I think I've managed to humble myself enough that I can make fun of the parts of my proudness as a joke. I can step away from that because it, I, that's not really me, but there is still this solid sliver of me that is very, very egotistical. I am love with me. Nobody loves me better than me. You know? And how, how do I how do I let that die? And so let, let me finish. I worked on this so hard. Okay, so here it is. I was looking for a metaphor to, to draw that, and, and, I, and I worked forever at it and, and wrote it all out, and then I threw it all away because it's already in the Bible. Because sometimes you just need to look for it, and it's there. Peter is in the boat, uh, and uh, they're in a storm, 
and uh, Christ comes walking by on top of the water. We just studied that a few weeks ago. And they shout out to Christ, and Christ answers. And then Peter shouts, Lord, bid me come to you. Now, if you see somebody walking on the water, is that the first thing that comes into your mind? Why, why don't I come out there too? <laughs> is that what I want to do? Yes, yes. <laughs> she understands this completely. Okay, so, so he says, bid me come to you. And Christ says, come. And again, Bonhoeffer dug this out in that book too. There was a whole big section there. And I've forgotten that we, I just read all that. I thought, well, there's my metaphor. Peter, according to Bonhoeffer, stepped over the edge of the boat, not in faith. It wasn't about faith. It was obedience. He asked Christ to give him an order, and Christ gave him an order, and he followed the order. It doesn't matter what happens when his foot goes into the water. Christ gave him the order. He's going to follow the order. Job said, though he slay me, yet I will serve the Lord. If Peter stepped over the edge of the boat and he sank to the bottom and drowned, he was still following the order of Jesus Christ, and that is what he needed to do. And so in obedience, not in belief, not in faith, not embracing the grace of God, in sheer obedience, he stepped out of the boat into the water in a storm. And then through the providence of God, which is, I think, what the word grace means. I'm not sure what the word grace means. I, I, I'm not sure I trust the word love. No, I'm not sure I trust the word grace. Um, it, he's sustained. And he stands on water. And as he does, completely and totally supported by the will of God, the grace of God, the providence of God, then he has faith because he knows what he could not see. Isn't that what Paul said it was? Faith in the, th the things we cannot see and evidence of the things unseen. So he, he knew that God was going to do something. I don't know what it is. He's going to do something. And he steps out and bang, there it's there. And, he, and, he, and he's standing on the water. At that point, his faith grows. And so he continues in obedience and takes another step. And now we have more experience. Trust is earned. It's not given. It's not created. It is earned. And so on his second step on the water, he trusts God that much more. And God's grace grows that much more as he walks in that faith. According to Bonhoeffer, and I think I'm playing with metaphors, the obedience of a Christian and the faith of a Christian are interlocked. Your obedience builds your faith, and your faith builds your obedience. And then he goes on for a whole chapter explaining why that's not circular reason, uh, which is a whole other debater thing. Uh, but that's true. It's like opposite ends of a magnet. As your faith gets close, as your obedience gets closer to God's grace, it grows, and so does God's grace. And so we learn to walk one step at a time in obedience. So do we have to be 
super Christian? And do we have to be able to completely let go of all of our personal vanities before we approach God? No, we have to take baby steps. One at a time in obedience. And then that grows and we develop into this state of perfect, unconditional, agape love that he calls us to. And that is the final commandment that God gives his disciples, Christ gives his disciples before the rest of the Passion Play goes. And oh my goodness, I'm at the end of my notes. You may now argue with me. I don't know if I want to. <coughs> see, what? Shut up. Did you see me shut up? Well, no, I agree with you. I was just playing the other <laughs> side of that card. Okay. First of all, John MacArthur, John Piper, R.C. Sproul, we would disagree with you 100%. Obviously, I'm right. <laughs> because they say it's impossible. You don't, you don't love God unless God makes you love him. Really? That's predestination. Hmm. Predestination says you have nothing to do with it. Now, I'm not agreeing with this, everybody. Everybody understand. I'm playing devil's advocate here. They say that you cannot know love. Of, you don't know how to love God. You don't know how to obey God. You have no power to love God or obey God. God makes you do it. And because see, the devil's advocate question is, and once again, I'm agreeing with you 100. Presenting you the other side of the argument. Okay. Okay. How can God say He is a loving Father? Because I I consider myself a loving Father. There is nothing my children can do that would make me give up my love for them. And they could be the most disobedient, rebellious children, and if they needed shelter in my house, I'd give it to them. Yes. I think you're kind of misunderstanding the, the predestined thing. I think that kind of boils down to more of uh, what, like when Christ, when the, our Lord chose Moses to, you know. No, I'm agreeing with you. I'm, I'm telling you the that I'm telling you the Bible does, does very specifically say that it's God's will for all people. Okay, I'm agreeing. Okay, you're, you're missing my point. You're missing yeah. my point. I'm saying the predestination people come. I'm not a predestinationist. Predestination people would say impossible. That's why a loving father can send them to hell because he made them to go to hell. No. No, no, no. no. You're no, missing no, my no, point. I, know, I, know. I just got <laughs> Predestination theology. I am not a predestination oh, theology okay. person. I'm saying according to the Calvinist. <laughs> you just ran Joe out I know, of the I'm just, I'm just I'm misunderstood here. <laughs> anybody, else, anybody else can verify? Now, Jessica verifies she knows Calvinist too. The, according to Calvinism, God creates everybody in a bowl. Heaven, hell, heaven, hell. That's predestination. He predestinates certain people to go to heaven. He predestined, and grace is completely on him, not us. And there's hmm. nothing you can there's no but obedience in you. There's no loving. Folks, I'm not agreeing with it. Everyone's going to go right. Clayton says this. I didn't say this. I'm, like, explaining what I'm explaining what it says. And so we get into this situation to where, you know, can you, how can, because then you get into the question, well, how can a loving God send his children to hell on purpose? Mm-hmm. I like the other side of the point, universalism. Everybody's a Christian. Well, honestly, no. I'd rather have that than the other way. But then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, would, would it not? I've I already mean, argued against that. I'm not agree. I know. I'm agreeing. There's no, I don't agree with universalism, but wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? Well, Rob Bell thinks so. I'm, I'm really mad at Rob Bell. I hope you he's listening. Him. I hope you're listening. I really love your books. You hate Rob Bell. I'm mad at Rob Bell. You hate him. I, hmm. 
Hate is the wrong word. Well, let, let's get back into that. Can we truly love? Can we, can we truly be selfless? This is every day. Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, 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 I have been kind of, how do I love is by, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we've done that, actually. <laughs> okay. Because here's the thing, and I'm, I'll, I'll go this direction because it's the best way to explain it. Okay. How are we Christians to say we're people of love? Because the great representation, and I'll just say because I know the majority of people in church how they vote. You vote for Trump, but do you love Joe Biden? If you don't, you're not showing true Christian love. Agree. If you vote for Biden, you should love Trump. True Christian love. I don't see it, nor do I hear it in our churches. If we're getting into that definition, the true mark of love is what, okay, because I brought this up, and let's, I got Bible to back me up. Matthew 5. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. How much credit do I get for saying I love faith? None whatsoever. <laughs> I have two granddaughters. They are my world. I love them. Boy, do I impress people. But if I come out and say, I truly love Joe Biden, I pray blessings upon his life, that's where I get the credit. And if he loves his mother-in-law. Oh, yes, well, of course. Now, now she's <laughs> right, right under Biden. Right, yeah, right under Biden. Biden and Biden. I'm going to yeah. say, I'm going I'm to say this. I'm not going to mention names. When I did my relationships class, a person in the church, I'm going to say the person's name, came up. He said, does, "Does this good, loving relationship include mean, loving Democrats?" And I went. It was Mickey, wasn't it? It was Mickey. It was Mickey. It. it was Mickey. Mickey wasn't it? Okay. And I okay. said yes. He says, "I will not come to your class." <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, wow. do we as Christians really live this? Right. Because, like I said, it's hard. It's hard. Dying to self is a lot. I love I mean, every single person in this class because I go to church with you. It yeah. takes practice. It's like working out. When you first start working out, yes. you, know, you got to start small. Like he was saying, take baby steps. You Thankful know, so for You start doing that process and you start applying and you start writing. Like me, I was going to tell you, you know, like you were saying, that has kind of helped you. <clears throat> Be more humble, you know. So you say you're egotistic, kind of prideful. Just write down what makes you feel that way. What thoughts are you having that's making you prideful? Because I'm so fantastic. That's 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 um, easy. So then, and then after you write it down, then you can turn around and say, okay, the opposite. So you got your pros and your cons. You know, so that way you can kind of lower that. You know, we're all. She works all on the con list while he works on the pro list. I yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. But, 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 like myself, I don't mind saying this, you know, like me, I used to be kind of, you know, self-centered, kind of like, oh. No. You, Joe? No. I started taking off my hat looking in the mirror and saying, I said, hmm. <laughs> so that kind of helps, you know. At least you're not growing a horn. You know, I've, I've got a horn, right? If I had another one over here, it would be awesome. But, but, yeah. but Jesus says, they will know you in my by your, they will know you're my disciples by your theology, by your yeah. doctrine, your ability to debate, your, all this. What did yeah. he say? So I was going to add earlier, and you said theology. So I don't know how well this fits in your generation, but I just want to add a little bit. So even like, even when we're wrong, you mentioned Job. Like yeah. His theology about God was severely wrong. He thought God was trying to kill 
He thought God was strange to him. And even though he was wrong about God, God called him the most upright man. That's, That's huge. I feel like sometimes we think we have to be all right. We have to get it all right. We have to understand everything perfectly when he just wants our love and obedience. And he'll get us where he wants us to go. Yes. Yeah. She, she's talking about the good about perfection. That's the extreme opposite of Calvinism. Mm-hmm. Where it's all based on us. You really don't like Calvinists. Wow. I think that's coming through. I think that's coming I through. Yeah. Has it been a bad Calvinist you week for you? I love them. Okay, yes. You have to love them. I don't yeah. like them. Uh, but I mean, I love them. Because yeah. how can, how hate can't live with love? Can I, it? Well, I can love someone and not like them. I think I can love someone and hate someone at well, the same time. And <sighs> Okay, maybe anger. I mean, because it's hard for me to tell the difference between hate my, and anger. One of my best, dearest friends, and I've told you this before, is an atheist, homosexual, socialist, anarchist. Yeah. I would but are they fun at parties? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't. I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> go I mean, ahead. Go ahead. I love him. He's my one of my best friends. Yes. Yeah. I actually like him better than some of the Christians I know. Yeah. Fair. You know, there's someone I can love, but I don't like the way they do their life. Uh-huh. Now, that's where I get it. I don't like that thing, but I love them. Yeah. You know, and there's other people, you know, it's, it's that's where I kind of go. I kind of know where you're going with the love-hate thing. I call it more like I love them, but I don't like them. Yeah, fair. We're commanded to love, not like. I, I, and now, going back to Joe Biden, Donald Trump, whichever side of that issue you stand on, you can love them. You don't have to like them. Based on their personality and what they do, but we're we can't escape it. We're commanded to love everyone, not just our brothers and sisters in the Lord, but even people in the world. How do we get away? And some of the things that are said about these people are not Christian. Everyone. Well, sorry. Yeah, it's true. It's in the red letter. Yeah, I know. I know. It's all. It's all. And it's very difficult because there's a lot of people I don't want to love. I mean, they make it true, hard to love. True. There's a lot of people that make it hard to love them. I know a lot of people I don't, oh, i got to love that person. But that's where you get this growth and strength and maturity and loving someone that you don't want to love. That's where maturity goes. I don't grow by loving her. It's easy to love her because she loves her. No. But I mean, she, you know, it's easy. My granddaughters come up and get my lap. It's not like, oh, my goodness, I get a lot of credit for this because they're getting up in Papa's lap and they're loving on me. How can I not love? That's not great. That's not growth. But that idiot I sit next to at work, loving him, that's where you get the growth and maturity. I said, Holy Spirit, help me to love, and that's how you grow. Mm-hmm. We, we put, I'm not against it, we put too much stock in it's easy. Oh, man, I love Kevin so much. I love Joe. I love everybody. You know, I don't get credit for that because you guys go to church with me and we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's not where it's the growth. And I love her. And I just, but that's easy to love her. So we only get credit for the difficult love? Is that what you're Not saying? Only, well, when I say crap, I'm talking that's where the growth happens. That's where, oh, where the, the growth happens. Well, but, but, okay. but he says that. He says, uh, for if, all, if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you not even tax collection? Yeah, it's okay to just roll around. Oh, that's just, you do that. <laughs> you just want me to always talk about Calvinist all the time. Yeah, but you're so fun when you talk about Calvinists. You're passionate. Talk to Andrew. If you want to see someone more passionate about Calvinism, talk to Andrew. 
Yeah, I have. I have. <laughs> we, He's we, really anti we, We've done that, too. Uh, that is all I've got. You lost your class. I did. <laughs> and uh, they, they all went to somewhere else. I was going to say music practice, but I'm not sure that's entirely true. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I offended the Calvinists. We, we will do the next chapter oh. next week. What is that, 15? Uh, 14. 14, 14. And, uh, and Yak won't be here, so it'll be quieter. Yes. And with that, I'm signing off.